This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. People talk a lot about the importance of culture and all that blah, blah, blah. You got to wonder, how important is culture or is it just management consultants flavor of the month? To answer that question, Bobby Mason. Bobby, welcome to the show. Joel, it is a pleasure to be here, and I I really appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation. Hey, so I'm from L.A., Los Angeles. You're from L.A., and from the twang, let everybody guess. So where are you from, Lower Alabama or something like that? Uh, I'm a little north of Lower Alabama, but I know exactly where L.A. is. I'm in the Birmingham area. I'm going to have to go there sometime just so I could say that uh, I'm from L.A. That's it, you know, just for fun. So, so uh, listen, so you're the CEO of, a, of an engineering firm that uh, actually uh, you run operations. It's not just engineering, but you do uh, manufacturing and other kinds of things. So, uh, but, but you've really identified that there's a secret sauce to running your business. Would you share that with us? Be my pleasure. And, and actually, that secret sauce we name it as something that we call lift up. And that, that's a culture that actually was developed from a previous experience of mine where uh, we had, a, my father had a, a business that I was part of and, and because of clashes of culture, I left, started this business and I've been in the automation business. Well, wait, wait, was it a clash with your father? You just didn't get along with him anymore or what happened? That is an awesome observation. Uh, no. He's a, he, he is actually a, a partner with me in this business. Uh, it was a clash. Actually, he sold that business uh, to a multinational uh, company. And there was a clash really of culture and business philosophy. And as a result, in my youth, I would have said that was because of uh, they made me mad. But with some wisdom and a lot of uh, miles under my belt today, I would tell you that it was a hundred percent a culture clash. Um, and so we developed this automation company to solve people's problems, but we do it in a fashion that, that draws not only the best talent because of our culture, but our customers and our vendors have all bought into what we're doing. And we're actually reshaping the world. We're a mid-market company that has multi-billion dollar multinationals calling us saying, hey, we want to kind of emulate some of the things you're doing that are in our space, of course, and they're vendors of ours. So, so let me let me so let me ask a couple of questions because because what you talked about really piques my interest. Um, what, what I've always heard what you're describing is called a, uh, a failed integration. So in other words, when one company buys another company and you try to integrate the two together and it doesn't work out, there was a failure uh, that, in your opinion, was it predictable before it ever happened or was it a total surprise? Uh, completely predictable. Yeah. There was not due diligence done on the, on the culture. There was, on, there was not due diligence done on the market. Uh, we served a industrial and automation market, and and the the company that bought that company served a completely different uh, segment. Uh, was was run completely in a different uh, fashion uh, after different margins. Uh, 
which I, I've never understood why you would want to go from a, a 30, 40% automation margin to a 8% uh, commodity margin. That That's about the worst business model there ever was. Um, so we, we, we set our, we didn't set ourselves up. The people that purchased that company set themselves up for failure. And as a result, after two years and them wanting to uh, change our personnel for no good reason, um, but change the direction of that company. So, so just, just another minute on this before we move on yeah. to the next thing, but so they, uh, they were buying you for some specific reason because they wanted to get into a new business, a new, a new segment, a new something that you guys were in that they weren't in. Maybe it was a different region. Maybe it was a different part of a business, but they, they didn't, uh, they didn't really think through a lot of these issues. And I mean, didn't, didn't your employees end up taking the brunt of the problem? hundred percent. They took the brunt of the problem. So what happened, what happened to all those people? Um, they took what was, uh, a hundred employee operation that was a somewhere in the neighborhood of 35, $40 million. And they were, they were so successful inside of five years, they had about 27 people left and under 3 million. Yeah. So just, just That's too bad. So did, did any of those, uh, uh, did any of those people come back and join you in your new company? Cause now you got a new, a new operation. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the original seven, um, employees here were all plucked right out of that, that, uh, that previous company. We're a 20 year old company. I got guys been working for me for 40 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you got, uh, and clearly you were, you must've somehow worked through your, uh, your confidentiality or your non, you know, non-competes or whatever you got all past that stuff. So what's the secret sauce? So what, what makes a company successful? Uh, you know, what, what might've made the integrations uh, in the last deal successful? I mean, what did, you know, I mean, what is it that, uh, that you do in your company that makes you successful at this? I mean, I think every CEO wants to know. I think the thing that has made it, and I, I'm going to say it's individual based on the company and the circumstances. So what we did, what we have is unique and special to us. It can be applied to other companies. However, it's not a one size fits all solution. And ours was we, we wanted to continue down this automation path and solve people's problems. We're problem solvers. We wanted to do it in a way that lifted people up. We wanted to do it in a way that lifted up the individual, gave them a career path that lifts up the person beside you left and right. They're important or they wouldn't be here. We want to lift up our, our company, obviously. Uh, and use our intellectual gifts and talents. We want to lift up our customers, obviously. And then we want to also lift up this country. And that's what that's really what, what we feel like we do because the solutions that we provide help us have sustainable, low-cost energy. And as a result, it makes this country thrive and, and gives us security. So, you know, I... I, I refer to that as as cause. In other words, where you, your employees, your customers are working to make the world a better place in some way, whatever that way. That's how I look at it. We're all on the same side of the table trying to make something happen that's bigger than ourselves. Is that pretty similar to what you're describing? It is. We've defined a purpose and the people 
are on the boat and they're all rowing the same direction to help us achieve our goals. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how uh, that goal is so much more motivating than we're here to make a lot of money and pass the money around? 100%. We we see, and I see it actually, it's kind of interesting our, the diversity of our, of our company, we're about 30% boomers, 30% Xers. And then with, you know, the, the, uh, the 30% the, the young generation. And yet all three of those different four different groups all have bought into what we're doing, different purposes, different stages in life, but yet they all have bought in a hundred percent and and they're all rowing the same direction. And I think that's actually unique. And that's something that that is special uh, that more companies need to work on trying to uh, improve is get that across generational gaps. Yeah. You know, so if you had to uh, put a dot on the wall that everybody's aiming at, what's the, describe the dot. What, what is everybody aiming at to really make happen? We, we focused in the oil and gas industry for the last 20 years with our automation solutions we're experts in something that is called a uh, variable frequency drive or an inverter. And we utilize that technology. It controls motors. It can, can, it can create uh, electrical microgrids, has all this power. And we're so, we, we do software and packaging for harsh environments with it. And so what we do is we save energy. So if I can save a, a customer 20, 40% on his electrical consumption and improve his processes, whether that's moving water or oil or gas or whatever, then, then we have, uh, we've hit the mark. We've helped you solve a problem. We've done it in a way that's environmentally friendly and, and lowers your operating cost. In our, in our core, that's what it is. And we bring that data back to you so you can use that in constructive ways. And, and, and listen, and you're uh, reducing the carbon footprint for, uh, for, for everybody else, which is really probably a pretty good thing too. It's, it is. And, and for 20 years, we've been doing it under the auspices of, of energy savings and reduced carbon emissions. Today's world, all you hear about is ESG. We were ESG before ESG was cool. Um, and, and funding. So, are you, so, and just, just so everybody understands that's environmental, uh, social and governance, right? Those th- three right. things. And so uh, you're helping companies to be more compliant with some of the ESG uh, guidelines. And they're not, they're not regulatory specifications yet. I mean, they probably will become, but, uh, but right now they're just kind of guidelines. And you yeah. help companies to do better in that area? We, we help them with their ESG metrics. And we have products that, un- that, that actually help on both sides of the coin, because we help you with the environmental social governance, because we can cut down on emissions, we can save energy, you know, we can do these things, but we actually help on the operational side. So we're one of those few areas today where it's actually profitable to invest in ESG solutions, because there's so many that are doing it for, for other reasons, and they're not worried about the operational gains. So we kind of feel like we've got the, the best of both worlds, because we can help you in both sides. You know, it, it seems like, uh, you know, there's a lot of noise around ESG and it's sort of uh, to kind of be a good citizen and, and all this stuff. But you're saying that it actually is in their interest to do that for their own sake financially, too. Tell, tell us why. 
great, great example. Our, our new company that we started as a, as a result of uh, COVID, we, we had an innovation breakthrough uh, through that, that downturn. And we started Spock uh, grid inverter technologies. So if you take a diesel generator and you apply our, our grid inverters with a battery system, now I can reduce the fuel consumption of that generator somewhere, depending on operations, between 40 and 65%. And I can run it part of the time on battery, part of the time on the generator and charge the battery and continue to, to operate whatever that generator was, was operating, um, which is gonna cut down on fuel burn by huge amounts, you know, 40, 60% range. But I'm also reducing emissions during that whole time that I'm running on battery. So every night you got a job trailer sitting out there turn the generator off and run it on battery all night. And if the battery gets low, I automatically turn the generator on, charge enough to get through the rest of the evening. Boom, done. It, it, it's a no brainer. It, it saves energy. It cuts emissions because scope one and two emissions are, are something that all of these guys are interested in. And I'm, I'm, I'm saving you tons and tons of money in your operation. You know, when, when, you're, when your customers are thinking through, the, <clears throat> thinking through this, and, and certainly you're telling them all the logic about all the money they save and everything, what are you telling them about the break-even? How long does it take for them to break even on their investment? Totally depends. We have some stuff that is as far out as, as two years. And then we have some stuff that's that's literally months. I mean, it, it's Real, a, less than two years, huh? We we have a lot of products, and it, it uh, like anything in life, it depends on how you operate it, or you're operating twenty four seven. Are you you know, or or is it something that only operates eight or ten hours a day? Stretches that that uh, that payback. But most of all of our solutions are a C a CFO's checkbox. Oh, absolutely. That pays for itself in that period of time. And it cuts down on mechanical wear of my equipment. I just extended the life of, of, of my generator by threefold and I cut my fuel consumption by 40, 50, 60%. Sign me up. So when we were talking uh, before the show, you said that uh, the culture, which you believe is your secret sauce, magnetizes uh, customers to you it keeps employees with you. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that, because one of the, the questions I have, your value proposition is so strong that that sort of magnetizes customers too. So, you know, so are they, are the customers coming here because of your company? Are they coming because of uh, the, the, the savings? Are they coming? You know, what, what do you think all is going on and, you know, and how have you kind of gotten this all figured out? I would say it's a, it's a much like, our grid solutions, our hybrid solutions for elect for electrical automation. Culture is a hybrid solution that helps us in so many different areas. One, it helps us because our people know that we care and we invest in them and we want them to have a future and opportunity to grow. So we attract incredible talent. Our customers see it through the way they're treated with respect with information, we, we constantly are providing our intellectual gifts to them to help them be better, to make them more successful. And even our, our, the, the little thing that a lot of people overlook is your suppliers. 
your vendors. So my supply chain knows that we have standards. We have five core values and our customers know them, our employees know them, and our vendors know those five core values. And we actually reward our people, our vendors, and customers sometimes because if we catch you in the act of living out our core values, which are very simple and stated, and, and we defined them as, as, as Spock automation, not a Webster definition of gratifying, uh, committed, passionate, caring, and solution focused. We, we actually give uh, like military type coins out. Uh, it doesn't make for good podcasts. So I'll tell, I'll explain it. Uh, it's it's a it's a big beefy uh, military style coin, and if your peers or anyone catches you in the act of living out these core values as we've defined them, they nominate you. And I actually put merit in my in my weekly management meeting before I get into the metrics of the business, the manufacturing and the financials and all that. We actually look at two things. One is innovation nominations, whether we're innovating a product, a process, um, or, or some solution. And then we look at our core values, who in the company has been nominated. They don't all get coins. It, it's, it's weighted against our definitions. It's voted on by the management team. And then we present those coins at a, at a big gathering and, and monthly, we, we have a monthly meetings with the entire company and, and we give out those core value coins. And at the end of the year, there's a big ceremony and the one person that, or two, that if we sent that individual to Mars without being able to speak one lick of Martian, the Martians would understand who Spock is and what they stand for through their actions and their deeds, not their words. And, and so that person then wins a, a a, a lift up coin, a gold coin, and then there's a monetary prize. But honestly, they don't care about the, the, the monetary prize. It's the recognition throughout the year. And it's that honor of being someone who represents this entire company and our culture uh, publicly and could do it without words. And so that is, uh, that, that's one of the programs, one of many that we've put, we've put in place. You know, I'll tell you something, uh, Bobby, this, this is remarkably inspiring. Uh, you know, it, it hits very close to home for me. I, I love this concept. Um, I, I love the fact that there's a nomination process that the management team gets. I mean, that you make a big deal out of it. I mean, it is a big deal. And the winner uh, really exemplifies your stuff. I mean, that is really, it's spectacular. Um, would you just reiterate what these core values are? I just say one, two, three, go like that. So we understand what they are, because I really want everybody to hear what you're, what you're thinking and how you guys operate. Absolutely. Uh, the first one is solution focused. Uh, the second core value is caring. Passionate is our third one. Committed is the fourth and the fifth is gratifying. And, and they all have definitions. Gratifying is a good example you look at Webster or Wikipedia and, and it has a, a gratifying as, as a completely different definition. Our definition of gratifying, for example, is that we take our work extremely serious, but we have a lot of fun and it's, in, and it's fun to be able to create products that can change the world. And that's our definition of gratifying. Uh, 
It's also one of the hardest coins in our uh, core value challenge to, to get because it's the hardest to quantify. But so you we, have different coins for each, the different coin for each one. I do. I have a, a different coin with a, with a custom logo built into it, you know, carrying a couple of hands, reaching out for one another. And, and so each, each coin represents that core value and then and a specific Spock automation definition for that core value. That's just, that's just uh, fantastic. So where'd this come from? I mean, is this something that you kind of dreamed up or did you borrow it from someone else or like, it where a, did it is a hybrid of my own beliefs, uh, my own experiences. I had a great mentor in my father. I've also worked with consultants. And so we've just pieced together what really worked. I, I'm a big believer in what we refer to around here as Spockification. You get one point for a, a great idea. You get two points for repurposing it in, in a way that's best for us. So uh, that it's, it's a combination of all those things. And we've put a lot of really hard work and focus into it. I actually hired a consultant, oh, seven, eight years ago to formalize our program. I sat through a presentation from uh, uh, Patrick Le Leone and, and he was going through scaling and culture and, and how to grow a company and barriers to growth. Went through this, this whole thing. And at the end, I decided we needed some of that. We weren't a siloed company, but we had some communication issues. We're a manufacturing and engineering company. We're working out of multiple buildings. And, and so we've got a big campus here and, and we needed to work on things. So I hired him. But before he would take me on as a client, he said, uh, you know, I want to know your purpose, your mission, and your core values. And I said, well, we have it, but it's not official. It's not written down. I've um, been around Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies my entire career, and most of the gentlemen or ladies that come in and flop that happy brochure with that information down on my desk, no more live it than the man on the moon, and I'm the kind of guy that I really believe that if I tell you it's going to rain, you need to take your umbrella to work. That's who I want to be remembered as, and the response back was, well, I will not take you on as a client if you're not willing to work those. So he sent me some, some Harvard Business Review white papers and I read them and it was companies that I really had a lot of respect for, longevity companies, companies that, that, uh, that really made a difference in the world. And so I cried uncle. <laughs> and you I, actually, actually kind of look like you're tearing up right now. I mean, just I, even talking I, about your own program. <laughs> I did. I, I said, I, you're right. I need to do it. And so we formalized the process. And it was actually kind of fascinating, Joel, that when we went through the process, he said, now it may take you 12 months. Some companies, it might take as much as 18 or 24 months to really formalize it. And all. I said, we know who we are. I handpicked the core nucleus of this place. I've modeled it. I've lived it. I, I know who we are. And he said, well, yeah, you and every other client that I've ever taken on. And we went through an exercise. And in 45 minutes, we nailed our core values, mission, and purpose. And he, he just said, you guys are amazingly aligned. Have you ever written this down? Like, is this, I mean, this would be a great book. This would be a great, great book for uh, other companies to read. Have you ever bottled it up? I have not. I've told the story many, many times. 
because um, I'm I, I'm I'm passionate about it, as you can tell, and I love it, and and we live it. But I have not. That's uh, that's something I probably should do. One of these. You know, times. I'm going to go out on a limb here and just uh, kind of make guess about something. But uh, you know, we're here living through this labor shortage. We have all these supply chain problems and everything else. My guess is there are people lined up to work for your company that you don't have a labor shortage. I, I do not have a labor shortage. Um, and, and I, I, I actually, I get tickled, uh, because when we're looking for talent, we're, we're actually testing and trying to find the best talent. We're not necessarily. Yeah. Taking- I mean, my, my guess is the people in your, in your community, uh, know your company and they probably wish they could work there because, you know, I think the loser in this whole, uh, labor shortage thing, I think large companies are really going to suffer companies that don't have the magical culture. And there are very, very few large companies that have magical cultures. I mean, what you're talking about is something that entrepreneurial companies do really well, not as well as you. I mean, I'll tell you, it's a rare company that does it the way you're describing. I love what you're describing, but by and large, uh, smaller companies have more personality than larger companies where they're, they're kind of more bland. And, and those companies, I think, are really going to struggle with this labor shortage over time. I think people are going to find lots of options and other ways to make money that are different. But I think what you're talking about, there's a certain camaraderie at your company. There's a certain sense of pride. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, what you've created is spectacular. I couldn't agree more. We actually are I'm viewing the next 24 months. Our, our growth is off the charts. One of my biggest um challenges is to make sure that as we continue to grow, we've, we've been blessed to have been on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing private companies three times inside of a decade. And that's kind of my answer to is culture really worth it? And the answer is, well, according to the finances, they are. And if you talk to my people, you can't run them off with a stick. Um, but really, we see an opportunity in the next two years as we have this unbelievable exponential growth to really focus hard on that culture and scale it because I don't want to lose that as we become a the next tier. And then the, the other part is the talent pool that is so attracted to what we're doing and who we are and that lift up culture. It's incredible. We're pulling in talent that has been working at that, that, uh, that mega corporation and is fed up with the rat race and not being able to make a difference and, and to actually feel value that they not only feel themselves, but they can add to other people. You know, when, when a new person joins your company, whether they're from a large company or a small company, wherever they're right out of college, wherever they're from, uh, what's the process of learning the culture? I mean, I mean, is there a process? Do they sit in a library and, and have to read a little brochure for a little while? Or, or does somebody sit them down and grab them by the collar and kind of beat it into them? How does that work? That, that is, you, you would be a great straight man if we went on the road. So I, I may have to may have to put you on. <laughs> we'll take the show on the road, huh? <laughs> That's right. Well, one thing is we have a lot of this information on our website. And so we share it in the initial stages. I actually interview for culture. When you're going through the interview process, you've already gone through, you know, PI testing and we know your cognitives and we know all these other things. When it gets down to the interview and you're sitting down with me, I don't care about that. You're either qualified or you're not. I want to know, are you culturally going to fit in and and how you align with those core values? If you have alignment, 
we can do some special things. And then once you're on board, we actually have a process we call quote to cash. And we take it depending on the, the job and the, and the, and the individual anywhere from a, from a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And you literally sit with the individuals through the quotes process, bills of material, you know, all the way through engineering, through procurement, production, the whole process from a quote stage to cash once it's gone through invoicing. And then, you know, everybody in the company, at least departmentally. So if you ever have a question, you know exactly where you can start your journey to get answers. You've spent quality time learning their job with them. So you've, you've built up bonds. And as a result, the people here teach the lift up culture through that process. I'll tell you, you guys have done uh, quite a remarkable job. So just give us a quick, uh, quick sense. Is your company uh, expanding pretty rapidly? I mean, or, or what, what industries are you expanding into? Tell us a little bit about that. We are, we're expanding. Um, we, we've actually just closed on another building, our fifth building. We were looking to build a, a bigger plant and put it all under one roof for some efficiency gains. Uh, but we're growing immensely. Our oil and gas business with Spock Automation is is just soaring the uh, the new spot grid inverter company where we're doing hybrid electric solutions for people it is just exploding in in a lot of different areas of the marine industry in the uh, on-site power industry and and then other battery and, and hybrid uh, electrical solutions and then we have a, a SCADA company which is a supervisory control and data acquisition which is a big fancy word for we can monitor all of this equipment through cellular and satellite and bring all that data back to you and, and serve it up in a way that's, that's meaningful. And, and, and so there's a, there's a whole set of monitoring technologies. There's alarms built in. If something goes wrong, the whole thing, I mean, all this exactly. stuff. Yep. Call outs to, to let you know that that generator application, perfect example, your fuels gets down to 20%. We can, we can send you a message and say, Hey, you need to get the fuel truck and go out there and refuel in the next 24 hours. And did you guys, did you guys build most of this technology yourself or did you buy it and reconfigure it? I mean, where did it come from? We buy a lot of best in class components. Uh, we do all the software engineering in house. And then we, we have third party build a lot of our mechanical enclosures, but we do all the final assembly test and engineering in house. Yeah. Boy, you're uh, you're you're quite a uh, you're quite a CEO. I, I really have to say, you know, uh, the promise of this show is to deliver the best, smartest, or fastest way to get something done. We call that the inside track, and and, and the people who do that. And you've certainly done that. You've really given us the inside track on culture, a secret sauce, and and the way you do it. And the way we refer to it, we use challenge coins too. You know, similar to what you uh, do. Uh, is we call those people advantage players. And no doubt about it, you know, you lived up to the standard of an advantage player. And, and we really, we appreciate what you've shared. We appreciate you being on the show. And uh, really, I, I, I learned uh, enormously and I'm really thrilled about it. So thank you for, for sharing and thanks for being with us. Well, well, thank you. It's really, it has been an honor and a privilege. And I, I really genuinely consider myself a blessed man to have the privilege to be able to do what I do for a living and, and help others. And that's really my purpose here. On well, listen, and clearly you're very good at it. So thank you very much for sharing. 
You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.